This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, I'm Katie Hunt. I'm the co-founder and chief revenue officer of Showfields. And what I love about retail is discovery. From the time I was a kid and I would go to the mall with my mom to now as an adult, for me, it's about meeting the new brands and the new products and this idea that I'm starting the day without something and ending the day with something new. Hi, my name's Andrew Smith. I'm the co-founder and managing director of the Americas for Think Uncommon, which is a, a niche consulting company here in the United States and back home in Asia Pacific, you'll tell from the accent, I am an Aussie, now living in the US. I am the quintessential retail nerd. I am obsessed with this industry for lots of different reasons. It's constantly changing is obviously the big one, which means it's fun. keeps us on our toes. We have to keep thinking differently. But it, it is at the intersection of so many different things and different changes of other industries like technology. You need to keep your eyes on companies and what they're doing outside of just, you know, your normal direct competitor, which maybe we used to do as a retailer. And I don't know. It's fun. It just It's an incredibly energetic, growing industry that seems to have this dark cloud that some people try and put over it, which is just rubbish. So it's just a really great, fun, collegial industry. And that is what I love about retail. Retail as a service is a huge idea these days, and there are a few leading players. One of them, which has been called the most interesting store in the world, is Showfields. It's a retail concept that invites you to discover and engage with the online-only brands of tomorrow in wellness, home, and design. Coming up, you'll get an inside look at what's working and what's not in this concept. What brands can do to make the most of an opportunity like this what Showfields has in mind to take the idea to the next level, and whether this experience is really everything. Plus, what Hootie and the Blowfish have to do with a play for cool. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Katie, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. My name is Rebecca Fitz. I'm here with Chris Hansen. Hey, Rebecca. So, such an interesting concept. Tell us, what is Showfields and how did you come up with the idea? I cannot take credit for Showfields in the least, which is, you know, a very different place to come from as a co-founder. I was running a fund at the time, and Showfields was pitched to me by the two men that would eventually become my amazing co-founders of Showfields, but they were the first company to ever pitch my fund, and I'm a terrible VC because I leaned in so far that I became their co-founder, and that was about uh, two years ago now. But the concept really comes from Tal and Amir. They really were looking at the world and they came from Israel to the United States and they were like, where's all this cool retail we've been hearing about? Why is there a gap in an H&M on every corner? Where is all the cool stuff? And instead of being like the rest of us and being like, well, cool, I guess I'll just wear Gap for the rest of my life, uh, they decided to innovate it and they created this world in which you can meet and discover all the brands that normally just live on the internet. 
So it is a new discovery model. For me, I really think of it as a stage. We call ourselves the most interesting store in the world, which is, you know, a pretty grandiose statement, let's be (laughs) honest. But we say it not because we think we're interesting and we're not like our friends, our family will back that up, but that we are creating a world in which we can showcase some of the most interesting brands and artists and experiences. And that's why we think we're interesting. So how long did your VC career last? I mean, it seems pretty short. Now, I still am the co-founder of the fund. I'm just doing both. You know, that was a fun two years of of having two jobs. Uh, But I think they actually feed each other. We're just launching the Fund LA and the Fund London now. And what we do is we raise money from founders uh, who've built companies in those ecosystems, and then we invest in the next generation of entrepreneurs there. So it's an incredible way for me to actually see what's happening in each of these markets. And so as we continue to expand Showfields, it becomes this world where we already know sort of some of the companies that we want to actually put into Showfields. Is the fund like an incubator almost for Uh, some of the things? Pretty much is. Uh, Well, that that goes together, by the way, like pieces of a puzzle. Focused on direct-to-consumer or is it? No, we're focused on tech. About 10% of the fund actually goes into direct-to-consumer. I have three incredible co-founders there, Jenny, Scott, and Matt, who really run the ship. Again, I get to be the backup singer to three amazing humans. That's a great place to be, to to get to ride their coattails and be part of what they're working on and, and to contribute. But I feel like the ecosystems feed each other, Showfields and the fund. So so the tech investments, are those around retail specifically? Is it just generally, is it brick and mortar focused? Like how do, how do you look at how that connects to Showfields? Yeah, so we're vertical agnostic. But what I think about Showfields and the community that we have wrapped around it is this idea of the creator. So it's these people in an ecosystem that are building new things, are innovating, are thinking different thoughts. And they are usually the people that actually know what's happening in their hood and what the new thing is and who the new artist is. And so it might not be directly that their company is going to be showcased at Showfields, but it's that I sit down over dinner with them and I say, hey, like, what's cool? What's interesting? What have you seen recently? And they're like, oh, my gosh, you have to see this thing. And that thing then ends up at Showfields, which is really exciting. So I think, you know, when you think about building a world around a company, it's not just about the direct one-to-one equation. It's about the ecosystem and the community and how it feeds itself, because those people are also the first people who come in when we launch a new collection. They come up to our fourth floor and use it as a co-working space during the day and have created their own little world around Showfields, which is really lovely. So I've had the pleasure of going to Showfields a few times. Talk to us about the customer experience there. With all, I think, new retail concepts, even if you're a retail nerd, which, by the way, I usually say retail wonk, but you've put re- retail nerd on it. And I think I like it enough. We should do T-shirts no, cool. or something. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What the, I agree. <laughs> what the customer experience is and what exactly we can do in the space. You mentioned co-working, but as a consumer, you know, am I showrooming? Can I touch and feel? Am I walking out with stuff? Uh, and and I am a gold medalist shopper, so I'm not going to give anything away. You're but welcome I hear to from... come anytime you'd like to Showfields. We love gold medalist shoppers. Exactly. I'm in that category. It's, uh, you know. So we really looked at the world and reinvented retail from the consumer's eye. So we have a thesis that is C-commerce, which is the future of retail for us. And it's this idea that there will no longer be sort of traditional retail and there will no longer be direct-to-consumer as individual categories. They were two continents. 
that slowly, slowly, slowly started to push together and now have formed one place which we call C-commerce, consumer commerce. And we really feel that we are reinventing the model from the perspective of the consumer. If you look at any great direct-to-consumer company, and you can say this for Warby Parker as well, what they're actually doing is solving a pain point for a consumer. They're not creating a product and then trying to market it to the consumer. And so when we created Showfields, we did it through the lens of what does the consumer want? And so when a consumer walks into Showfields, it should feel as magical as when they first, you know, walked into a retail location when they were a kid, when they didn't have access to the internet and finding things and discovering things. They should walk in and meet all these new brands, go down a slide into an interactive art experience. They should be able to shop these things. They should be able to hear the stories of the founders of the products. But it should be a magical experience for them, everything from being able to do your local yoga class there to a cocktail class later on to a panel with some of the best founders thinking about retail in a different way to doing your actual shopping uh, to getting your coffee in the morning. Uh, we really feel it's a community space and know-how that's bringing back this idea of having a place that's yours again and feels curated directly to you. I feel like a topic that always comes up in these conversations is experiential. And so, you know, it's it's sort of run the gamut in, in the conversations we've had. It's run the gamut from sort of huge experiential concepts, mm -hmm. you know, even thinking about what just opened up in New Jersey and yeah. sort of, you know, we've, we've, we've touched upon that sort of idea of bringing retail to the masses in an experiential way. I think with Showfields, and I've not been to Showfields, although I walk by every single day. Stop, come on the way, in. It's 7.30 in the morning on my way to work. I stop at La Colombe on the corner yes. up from you guys. But there's by. coffee in the morning, and then for the walk home, there's gin upstairs. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, that's what I have Between to get the work, on. Between to work and the walk from work, you are completely sorted. We got you covered. Absolutely there's have to get upstairs. on that schedule. Um, but I walk by every day, and you know, for, for me, that sort of intimate experiential um, sort of concept uh, very unique, uh, very uh, intriguing. Do you do you see all retail going that way? Whether it's in this sort of large scale or a smaller scale type experiential, uh, you know, experiential experience for for a consumer, um, or do you see this sort of play between traditional brick and mortar e-commerce and now this sort of c-commerce concept that you're introducing? I think for a while they will be three sort of categories, right? It's not all going to immediately move to this idea of experiential. And I also think experiential retail when done poorly uh, is – is a bad experience for the customer. You're doing something just to get their attention and get them to take a picture. And it just, it feels, you can tell it's like eating too much sugar. The so, artifice of it you think is, uh, is, is problematic. And yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think anything done dishonestly is, right. is not a great experience. It's, it just becomes incredibly disingenuous. And, and what we find is that brands need to increasingly find their purpose, like what's their core purpose, and then live that out whether it be in their physical um, real estate or their digital real estate, live to it. And it doesn't mean become a not-for-profit. There was this huge confusion that it just thought everyone needed to start donating 10% of their profits <laughs> and that gave them a purpose. You know, Disney's a for-profit company that makes a, a, a stupid amount of money and they live up to their purpose, which is they provide joy and magic to families. And that makes people willingly and feel good about giving them their money. Experiential retail can come through in 
you know, multitude of different ways, depending on what your core purpose is. For all, for all the brands that come into a show field space, they want to be found. They want to have a voice. They want to tell their brand story in their own unique way. And show fields is the voice for it. Now, is that going to be perfect for every brand? No. But um, once you find that core purpose that's yours, that you can own, that will help you differentiate, then you work out how to tell the story. And and that means from a physical real estate point of view, a physical retailing point of view, the, the role of stores is shifting. I think the way that Katie spoke about it earlier is beautiful. These continents are coming together. Um, as people do that, stores are kind of becoming the billboards that will help you acquire your customers and give them uh, a reason to think about you and your brand which means they'll start shifting away from the sales team, you know, structurally into more of the marketing side of things. And it should do that. And, uh, you know, there'll be a whole bunch of people who I've worked with in my in my retail career who will be thinking, is Andrew really saying that? But it's true. <laughs> they they have to. My old CMO, I'm sure, is something I, I told you so. <laughs> but, the you know, they, they kind of need to be doing that because the brands are becoming this incredible part, this home, this campfire that you need to build so your customers can come and gather around your story and what it is that you're telling, the story that you want you to tell and the product that you're wanting them to eventually buy. And, you know, if you go through a Showfields experience, I, I had the pleasure of I go through Showfields a lot. You'll probably work that out. I, <laughs> I had the pleasure of filming a series called Off the Shelf with a, a brilliant Boston tech company called One Door in Showfields. We spent mm-hmm. a couple of days in there and, and filmed a three-part series, which was an awful lot of fun. But since then, I've also brought um, CEOs from Australia through. We do a, a safari here every now and again with Australian retailers. And Showfields is always the pinnacle one because it shows you what um, real experiential, fun, hands-on retailing can be for some brands where it makes sense but it's a really solid like inspiring place to go and um, feel what's possible if you use your imagination Um, and I think that's you know it's a it's a stunning example to set for retail and uh, I can't wait to hear what Katie's thoughts are though of other attempts of that including the new experiments happening over in Jersey. I love that idea of the campfire and I think you're right it's about creating a warmth and a story for people to center around. And I think for us, there are brands that are doing sort of less experiential things within Showfields and doing their own kind of more traditional retail pop-up, but allowing sort of the art, the show in Showfields to really help drive traffic and awareness to them being there, which is really fabulous. You know, it doesn't have to be that everybody in there is doing some over-the-top crazy thing. It's the cacophony of everybody doing something in one space that actually drives the traffic and the awareness and the lift for everyone. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, you know, with Warby, we found it as well. Uh, It's not about chasing the sale in the moment. Uh, That person is going to purchase. And they're going to purchase either online or they're going to purchase in that moment. Uh, But it's about creating that story in that moment for them to start to think about what the brand is and why it's different. Um, I mean, Warby's got it down. We all know that. (laughs) Uh, But for us, you know, I don't think people should just even in show fields, if they're opening in show fields and they don't have a story to tell or they don't have some crazy moment that they need to do, don't do it. There's so much stuff going on in the space. Like, instead, do a panel, do an event, like, just be you. Right, right. It doesn't always have to be physical space. 
Well, it's interesting. There's been um, a lot of talk in this space. I was part of a roundtable. I'm part of some projects where we grapple with this, which is there are a lot of barriers to entry for these smaller brands. Mm -hmm. And Showfield certainly offers a platform for, you know, brands to kind of bring their whatever it is to market. And maybe it is just a panel. It's not like let's go full blown retail. Mm -hmm. How do you make that easy? And do you agree? Are you are you lifting some of the barriers and um, kind of more on an operational standpoint. But if I were a smaller brand or we have, you know, CEOs of brands out there who are like, I'd really love to go direct to consumer, but, you know, I'm not quite ready yet. You know, what, what is the what is the process for brands? We're really retail as a service. At the end of the day, we are a platform and we are a platform play. We are sort of this group of humans that is outside of your team and outside of your payroll that is very good at retail. Um, and from the minute you're invited in and you press play on, on doing show fields, we are we are by your side. We're your partner. We design the space with you. We staff the space. We do inventory management, data collection. We help you understand the data that's coming in. We help you understand the consumer. We sit down with brands and talk about remessaging. We t- we talk about what to put on their screens. Uh, but I like to think of it as removing the barriers of entry, everything from being a much more affordable option to I'm a digital founder. I shouldn't now have to have a design team, a retail staff, a space. Like, that's a huge, huge leap to take, even if you want to try retail. And this idea that you're going to just, like, pick a space in New York and you're going to open a store, you're going to do the build out, you now have an entirely new staff, and now you have to drive traffic to it alone when you're already trying to drive traffic to a digital platform. It's insane. I know. And I do it every day. But it's it's, it's insane. We've got, you know... We've got the recipe a little bit down pat, but even then, no, it's it's insanity. So yes, and you've really got to start somewhere, but where is it? So it opens up one of my. um, I'm I'm really good for a rant every now and again, Um, (laughs) and this is this is one of my favorite rants to go on. Is like this existential crisis that retail has around what innovation means and. You talk to a, an incumbent retailer that's you know multinational with big box stores everywhere who's entering. We're we're innovating. We've hired a new design firm to redo our stores, or you know we've bought this new piece of technology. It's like that's not what innovation is. Like you're buying innovation, you're outsourcing it, which is a terrible idea usually, and it certainly won't come across as a genuine message through with your brand for for one. But also the people that you're scared of are also innovating because those most of these DTC brands, to Katie's point, are freaking out about the fact that they have to roster staff and start hiring retail teams and, and what does a store manager do? And so everyone's going through this kind of metamorphosis, this renaissance of retail and in, in and we don't, we don't need to freak out about it. We just need to be process-driven about it. Innovation is one of those things that is a discipline. Yeah. You have to have it set up within your business. And that's one of the reasons we did do what we do at Think Uncommon is we work with retailers to kind of turn innovation into a process, into a discipline within their business, down to their governance principles, their processes, their funding ideas and investment principles. All of those things have to change. Alignment of leadership team, obviously, but leading it from that purpose point that I mentioned before, have a strong purpose and align leadership team and process-driven innovation 
and you'll get through to whatever the next phase of growth is for you in this exciting renaissance. Instead of treating it as this thing that I need to go out and buy something, I need to go to an expo floor and go, I'll have one of those cool pieces of shiny technology and one of those shiny pieces of technology. It's got to be more thoughtful than that. And and I think the, one of the reasons that I love stories like Showfields is it's thoughtful. It's incredibly thoughtful about the role that it wants to play for, D, for DTC brands that want to get in, or any brand, I should say, that wants to get into that space. Um, so we can be more thoughtful about about it. And I think we, we're in this process of this existential crisis is driving us to freak out. We just need to take a breath for a second and, and think about what it means for us, whether we're a massive global brand or a small garage startup. I have to agree. And it's funny, I was at a, a retail real estate conference. And I think the opening, I actually missed the opening, but it was a little bit of a theme. Not that we're in a renaissance, but Retail has always been really complicated and difficult. And, you know, whether you were putting used clothing out on your stoop, you still had to make change. You still had to, like, if you had to run to the grocery store, was your kid going to man the, the stoop sale? And so it was really kind of a fantastic conversation. It's like, are we, you know, we're banging our head on the wall with some of this innovation when really, you know, a renaissance is a nice idea. You know, everything that's old is new again. But, you know, how can we do it better? Um so t- totally get it. And um, it's it's nice because, again, the whole headache of, you know, oh, my God, I have to have this whole other team to do retail. Maybe you don't. We have a tradition at Retail is Your Business where we um, like to break bread with our folks who come on. It's very telling, hopefully, about who <laughs> you are and uh, also keeps the energy up and all those other things. So um, we thought we'd go into snack time next. Ooh, we have two yes, snacks. We have, we've delicious. got double yeah. snacks. Exactly. Looking around the room, I've realized I've massively overcated, but that's okay. I'm sure we'll that's, make we'll make. You it probably work. didn't. No, you're right. I'm yeah. sure you didn't. We can feed we other can people. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and we're a little foodie-ish too. So I'll go first. Is okay. that right? That's great. Um, the so mm. mine um, has a little bit of a story. Obviously, being an Australian now, living in the US, it is. Um, it you know there are little things from home which are hard to go without. Mm. Luckily, I found a consistent supply of Vegemite and Tim Tams, which are the two mandatory requirements. Tim Tams were coming. Finally, yeah, Tim Tams. I didn't bring Tim Tams. They were on the list. I promise they're on the list. Um, Caramel Tim Tams are my favorite. And uh, every time I raise them here, everyone, the only reason people here know them is because Taylor Swift apparently became (laughs) obsessed with them when she was in Australia. Uh, anyway, but th- this was actually this has actually got a nice, a, a slightly bigger story than just Tim Tams, which is obviously something I grew up with. <laughs> I used to live in Melbourne, which is down the south, the colder part of Australia. But I used to travel to Sydney once or twice a week for work, it's, which is not uncommon in Australia. The two biggest cities, obviously. Um, and when I, whenever I was in Sydney, if I was feeling a, a little bit, you know, being away from home, I would always go for a walk down to this place called the Burke Street Bakery, which is in Burke Street, funnily enough, in Sydney, Surrey Hills, <laughs> just down, just a little bit out of the city, but still, it's a very, it's a beautiful walk. And they make this, I've just realized this is a plug for them. So, hey, maybe I'll get for a free tart next time I go in. But they are incredible at what they do. So I've brought in six tarts, three different types uh, a lemon tart, a ginger brulee, a ginger creme brulee, um, and a chocolate tart. And they are by far the best tarts, and they've just opened up in New York City. I was going to say, so, you must have sourced them like, here. I sourced them here. Like, yeah, I flew to Sydney like, yeah. just Amazing. for you guys, <laughs> and I brought back tarts. Well, another um, plug of where? Uh, Burke Street Bakery, Baker is on 28th okay. Street. Right around the uh, corner. Yeah. Excellent. So it's That's just amazing. around the corner for you guys. So Great. Perfect. Help yourselves. Perfect. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, now I don't even want to go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Look, we've run the gamut in here. Somebody bought us cottage cheese. I'm not poo-pooing on it. And there was a story behind it. So rock on with whatever you're. Okay. (laughs) Um, So one of the tenants of C-commerce is convenience and being a human who uh, is currently you know, doing two companies, convenience is uh, very important to me. So this morning, I ordered through Seamless uh, Haribo cherries for everybody. So uh, it's my favorite late night. I'm stuck at the office. I want a treat to reward myself snack. And it's also deliverable, which shows you how much walking I do in a day, which is close to none. Uh, I like convenience in something being delivered. And it actually, it really is the most millennial thing I could have done this morning uh, to get Seamless you for my snack. You had Haribo delivered by Seamless. Yeah. That is yeah. amazing. Uh, instead of even going the two blocks to the bodega, the bodega guys. Yeah, I love it. I'm yeah. thoroughly impressed. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> We're swiftly moving to the world of Wally, right? Absolutely. We're on those chairs where oh everything my gosh, I'm already there, guys. I'm going back to the yeah. days of Cosmo and Urban Fetch, which might actually predate most of you guys. Oh yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what either of those. Yeah, two you could get are, a sorry. pint of Ben and Jerry's delivered for four dollars in an hour. It was amazing. <laughs> Wow, totally, really? and a CD, and a CD, and a CD. Come on. I got given a CD totally. the other day, and I had that realization of like, of, of like the shift of time because I'm like, I have no way to play this. Yeah. Not yeah. even in my car can I play this. We had Hootie and the Blowfish in the store on Friday, and they were giving, they were humble. Brand. Wait, wait, the, the 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 band. So the city of Nashville opened up a musical space in show fields because it's not just brands that are trying to meet consumers. It's it's people who, uh, you know, are repping a city. So we actually have a live performance stage on the third floor and a vintage record shop. And we have all these crazy bands coming through. And Hootie and the Blowfish was there on Friday. I flipped out, guys. Vintage uh, record shop. Yeah, I'm in. Great. Mm. It's Grimey's, which is out of Nashville. They made a, a New York one. Yeah. So Hootie and the Blowfish were there, and they were signing CDs. And clearly, I was going to get the signed CD, but then I got it home, and I was like, "Well, I guess this is going on my shelf." You just have to look at the signed CD whilst streaming it on your favorite exactly. streaming service. I was like, "We have to learn how to be able to sign things on <laughs> Spotify now." Wow. Um, let's dig in. Coming up, you'll hear about retail as a service and expansion. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found. So let's unpack this concept of retail as a service, because I'm sure if somebody says Showfields is... You know, pop up store or or a location for pop ups that's got to grind on you. So <laughs> I was so going like, to say, I wish everyone could see the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a pain that. face like, no. on, uh, on Katie. <laughs> so, so yes, you know, I think these these concepts get blurred, and understandably, there's been a lot of excess retail space that's taken up with pop ups mm-hmm. of people trying to dip their toe. So, is retail as a service, and uh, what you're doing at Showfields, is that 
brands dipping their toe into the retail waters or is it them starting to take the plunge? How do you look at that? So I think brands come to us in sort of different life cycles. I mean, you have a quip that knows that it's going to go into retail at a given point, And they've been with us for almost a year now and have been very successful at Showfields. And you have other brands that are invited into a curation. Uh, and again, all brands that are at Showfields are actually invited in for a six-month stay. Uh, and we switch over the store twice every year. So we close for four days and we open as an entirely new store twice a year. Uh, but if you're invited into a curation, sometimes you're an emerging brand who maybe hasn't thought about retail yet. Uh, and for them, I think there's a little bit more handholding in terms of here's all the things we're going to offboard. Here's what the retail as a service package really looks like. Uh, and we try and keep it as light as possible on the teams that we're working with. The entire idea here is to get them their flagship at 11 Bond Street in Manhattan, you know, around the corner from Casper, next to Away, across from Reformation and Kith, which is the number one performing department store in the world right now. So we're at this amazing location. We're getting them tons of visibility. But at, but at the end of the day, like, they have a million things they're thinking about. And so if I have someone for five minutes and I'm telling them about why they should be part of Showfields, a lot of it is the retail as a service in terms of we take all the heavy lifting. Like you have to sign off on things. You have to go through a digital onboarding into your merchant console. But at scale, we really believe that a brand in Tokyo, if they were invited into a curation at any of our locations, could onboard in six clicks without ever stepping foot in Showfields. And that is the end goal for us. And then we run the store for them, and they're able to go into their merchant console at any given time, see their data live, see what's happening in the store. Uh, but of course, we look for partners that, you know, also want to participate in different ways, host an event, have an activation in their space in the weekends. You know, as we curate, we're looking for people that are excited to do retail and want to dive in. Uh, but at the end of the day, if they end up just wanting to have a beautiful store that's opened by us and run by us, they can. It seems like part of the allure is these digitally sort of native brands coming into a template uh, that has data at its core. Is that part of the offering? Is the concept that I can share data with you so that you can combine your online and offline experience? Is that part of it? It's totally part of it. And for us, it's also, this is an incredible testing ground if you are going to go forward and open your own locations. This allows you to understand what works, what merchandising works, uh, what messaging works, who your core consumer is, who's purchasing, what they're not responding to, what you kind of have to double down on in, in terms of driving traffic. And so for us, I really feel like for emerging brands, this allows them to have the equation before they ever have to take that leap and sign that 15-year lease on their own and invest all that money and hire all those people because that's a scary moment and it shouldn't be. I feel like if you're graduating out of Showfields and you're graduating out of our New York location, opening a store around the corner, you should have the playbook by the time you leave. And that's exciting. 
you know, clearly down the line, will we, uh, you know, be the infrastructure for those companies to open their own spaces? Maybe. I mean, we built our own point of sale. Uh, we have the one of the only ecosystems in the world where the data collection is actually speaking to the point of sale since we built both. And it gives us a competitive advantage. But I wonder, you know, we have this kind of out-of-the-box solution now where you can come in and say, okay, there are two screens. I want them to do this. I want to do cash and carry, but I want these items to only be shipped to home. And I want, uh, you know, for a discount to happen every Tuesday for 20% off. And then you don't have to do anything. We have the ability to do all of that for you. Uh, And if you were to go and set that up, let me tell you, it takes two and a half years. Rebecca told me it's really easy. I don't know. Every time we talk about it, it's... it's... I was going to do it on the weekend. Yeah. The, the, um, the dichotomy that I really enjoy is like the, the fact that there are a whole bunch of incumbent retailers out there who see, who are now starting to realize, you know, something that uh, a few of us have been screaming to walls for a little while, that innovation's the safe place, like moving to this new experiential retailing, merging physical, digital, et cetera, et cetera. All of these you know, catchphrases are now the safe place for retail. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of dipping their toe into data collection online and how to track orders and how to um, track a customer's journey across digital and physical. Um, whereas you, you kind of deal with brands who are going the other way, mm-hmm. who, who have got all of that, who live in a world where they can see every second of every customer. Yes. And the the nervousness that they have stepping into physical retail is I'm going to lose that. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the brilliant parts of the Showfields model is that that feels so much um, safer, smoother, mm-hmm. frictionless um, than if they they did just go and start renting a shop and, and realizing that they can't track anything when they walk in there. <laughs> Um, how, how do you, when you talk about um, what you do to incumbent retailers, mm-hmm. um, how do you respond to their idea that, you know, that reverse is the problem that they're facing, that, you know, getting into a digital point is incredibly nerve wracking and they have no idea what they're doing? How do you try and explain the context of Showfields to them? Well, I mean, if they're moving into a digital place, right, and they're really doubling down on direct to consumer, They have one half of the equation, which is they've had years of understanding what a physical customer says about their brand. And they have had years of experience of understanding how to drive that traffic, how to speak to them. And so I actually think when an incumbent player is moving closer to the direct-to-consumer world, they have the advantage of years of data and knowledge that they've experienced in their own body. It's not like okay, I'm tracking where customer X is going on the homepage and I'm going to, you know, not knowing a lot about them, increase the button size and see if it converts. You've been able to have physical conversations with people. And so if you're going into digital, inherently you would think that it would be easier, right? And on the same side, on the digital side, you'd be like, you know your customer so well. This should be so easy. You should scrape the data of New York City, see where your customer is, and open there. And it should be so simple. I don't think it's easy on either side. And I think that's the conversation that we're all having. And I and I hearken back to what you said before of like, it's fear on both sides. And I think that what will happen in the future of retail is taking the fear out of that equation and taking the learnings that any brand has, whether on the, they're on the direct-to-consumer side or on the traditional retail side, and allowing them to use that knowledge to be successful in a new platform. So 
I mean, if if a traditional retailer was looking at coming to Showfields, and we have these conversations all day, every day, a lot of the inbound is from traditional, clearly, uh, and we have yet to curate a, a legacy brand. But the, the conversations we're having with them are, if you want to be part of Showfields, that's great. We would love to have you if you fit in the curation but we need to do something that's completely new with you. It has to be a new product or a new experience. It can't be something that lives someplace else. Uh, and I think that's challenging in terms of their timeline and how they look at their business. Well, just the fact that you haven't had any yet probably alludes to the fact that there's right. challenges with them getting over to that concept. Yeah. And I I think everyone will get there. And, and so I'm kind of excited for who will be the first, you know, traditional brand that we're going to work with. I mean, we, I believe that nothing we are doing is new. If you look at the original, uh, you know, uh, press release for Selfridges, they talk about community and curation and, and bringing people together and discovery. And these retailers have been doing this and are fantastic at it for many, many, many years. And I have a lot to learn from them. Um, so when I look at them coming and working in show fields, I think it has to be a meeting of the minds. It has to be that they're able to bring their knowledge and their expertise and that I'm able to bring maybe a little bit of this innovation and this edge. But to be determined when and if that will happen. <laughs> be really interesting to get your view on this too katie but like i re i'm really enjoying watching the way different brands are dealing with it there are obviously strategies like walmart or macy's where they're trying to buy innovation in with acquisitions or investments in things like bonobos and and beta and story okay. and you know you see the different it's in, differences in execution and the different customer experiences between say story's original 10th ave mm -hmm. store versus what's happening in macy's Herald Square and the way customers interact with the spaces are really different. I don't know what's going to happen. Time will tell us whether mm -hmm. or not that strategy works. Behind the firewall will be fascinating to see whether or not the way those customer, those companies and those brands they're acquiring or investing, the way they work, is that getting absorbed in? Is that reframing the processes and the view of retail internally to big incumbents? I think that's going to be fascinating to watch how that goes. Um, you know, we've I've seen brands where it's worked very well. I've seen mm. others where they've banked too much on it and it's failed miserably. Yeah, you know, it's got to be a blend in our in in my view. It, you know, it need companies need to think about what their internal culture is again. And mm -hmm. I keep harping on about it, but linking it back to their original purpose and why they exist, so that it can influence and um, and percolate through the whole business and every process and every governance meeting, um, yeah. rather than just acquisitions. But I'd love to know. Your view on that, considering some of these companies obviously engage with you? I think it's hard to change when things are going well. And so I think acquisitions are wonderful. I think, you know, putting innovation within your space is wonderful, but you can't put it in and then not change anything else around it. Otherwise, what was the point? I think we should be inspired by companies that we are acquiring if we are a larger company uh, and we should be looking at their company culture and how they're thinking about the world. Uh, and again, putting both sides of the equation together, like there is so much knowledge that Macy's has about being a retailer, right? And you have so much knowledge that Story has about changing the conversation, creating a curation, making something seem different and new. And yet, 
I don't think we've gotten over the hump yet between acquisitions and incumbent retailers where you see the narrative spread outside of the place that it's given within the store. And I think that's sad. Like information should change how you look at the world. And I don't think any retailer going forward is going to be able to win by just lining products up on a shelf and thinking that shopping habits are the same. They're not. So why would you acquire not only that company, but that mind and then not let it change what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? To me, that seems like a travesty. My business partner says it really well, I think, when he he refers to it. A lot of incumbent retailers are uh, trying to win Wimbledon with a wooden racket. And you look at these brands, they're kind of acquiring these digital, smart, interesting, new, modern brands that are successful. And they get some short term, you know, mm-hmm. it looks like lift. growth on the balance yeah. sheet and there's a lift, so they mm-hmm. feel good about it. But really, you're just regripping the racket. You're not going to win Wimbledon. <laughs> you need right. to think so much more broadly than that um, about your business. And how can that grip influence the rest of the, bra- the that racket so that you can be more successful in the competition? I think, yeah, uh, I think it's, it's we've got a long way to go. You're right. There's a, a bridge still to build. And don't you want to? Like, that's the other thing. Like, don't it's exciting. you want to try something different? And that's I think that's the advantage that a startup has uh, because it's never you've never figured out what baseline is yet. So there's no there's no fear of reinventing every day because you don't think you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater like you're not going to lose anything great because you're still trying to figure out what great looks like. Um, And the naivete of that, of not knowing what works, maybe allows you to go out and create something completely different that's outrageous. But, you know, it's also just looking at the world as a problem solver instead of looking at the world as like, these are the known pieces of data and I'm just plug and playing with them. Like our board when we took 11 Bond Street was like, don't take a four story building. Like it's really hard to drive traffic up. Like and to and to drive them to other floors, and Tall, my co-founder, was like, "Well, it won't be hard if we put a slide from the third floor to the second floor." And he was right. All of our traffic goes to the third floor. We don't have a problem, but it's breaking the model of like, oh, of course, traditional retail—you never take a four-story store. Fine, take the four-story store, but figure out a way to change it. And b- before we pivot to location, I think also, you know, retail as a service is kind of out there now. Um, and we've talked a little bit just about how complicated, uh, how hard retail is. And again, I don't want to harp on that too much. <laughs> but um, what were some of the challenges? How old is Showfields now? I should Showfields uh, has been open for almost a year. Will be a year old on December eighth. Okay, so still very, very, very young. young. Um, and again, without giving away any, you know, secret secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the challenges to Showfields and what are some of the challenges to brands in just kind of coming in? And you may be over the hump of those because, again, I think you're operating very much like a, a startup which kind of solves things and then you're on to the next thing. I think there will con- be continued challenges daily. And if we're not if we're not prepared for that, then we're not in the right jobs. Uh, you know, for me, I one of the favorite things that's ever been said to me by another founder was, uh, you're not a great founder if you freak out about one fire because there's a hundred a day. Uh, and it's true. Like you can't be stressed. I think there are things that ebb and flow that are challenges for our side and challenges for the brand side. 
Uh, but I think the hardest part is if you are a brand who has never done retail before, I think you walk into the room uh, with some assumptions that are maybe incorrect. Uh, and so it's not this idea. And mind you, you know, sales are what we think about and getting brands, sales and lift and all of those things are are what we obsess over. But I think brands walk in and they're like, from day one, I'm going to turn on this store. Traffic's going to come, know who I am and going to purchase. And I think the learning curve that we've had and the reason why each of our brands is in Showfields for six months is there is a a period of time that it takes for the audience to understand that you're there, the audience to come and meet you, and then the audience to begin purchasing and continue to purchase. So there's sort of a, a scaling moment that has to happen. And I think we know now that we're correct in this assumption that there's this kind of, you know, months to six weeks that happens. But it's about narrating that to brands and having them understand before they sign their contract. Right. And and it's very funny because I think there's like some of these baseline things that like 99% of life is. And one of them is sometimes managing expectations, but it's not something like you talk about in a management meeting or something, but you're like, oh my God, this is front and center. Um, and I wasn't thinking about sales, but I, I kind of agree. And there's a funny thing in leasing too, that like you think you're going to come in and, you know, day three, you'll lease something. Then someone comes to you who's done it forever and they're like, it usually takes somebody about four months to sign a lease. And (laughs) you're like, wait a second, you know. (laughs) So um, that's that's very interesting. And I think a pain point probably, again, for both of you, it's not really just that it lies on them. It's, you know, if you're not making sales, why be part of Showfields? Right. And it's so funny because now that we know and we have the data and we can say from the first conversation this is what it's going to take and here's where you're going to end up. And if that works for you, then we're the right location. We really flipped the conversation in a great way because everybody's on the same page. They know their sales are coming uh, and they can be comfortable with this ramp up period of learning and innovating. I mean, I mean, there are certain brands that open day one and are immediately yeah immediately profitable so it's hard uh for some brands that are standing there being like okay well uh but it just takes a second and that's the fun part we've had a brand that's been with us since day one called nuria they launched online in the store on the same day so they are a beauty brand, completely sustainable packaging, vegan, cruelty-free, uh, and they have one of the best products uh, that I've ever seen in the market. And if you think about how many direct-to-consumer beauty brands there are and that we looked at, you know, we curated this one because we really feel like they're, they have a product that works, but they're really innovating on the product side in terms of sustainability and in terms of the story they're telling. Uh, female founder, and they give a percentage of proceeds back to She's the First. When we first started with them, we had no idea what to expect. Uh, you know, Quips immediately selling like hot cakes. It's right before Christmas. Everybody's buying their mom, dad, and, and brother when you walk in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. Uh, and so <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, like Nuria is going to take a second and we just have to be patient. And one of the best things we actually did was we put them in House of Showfields, which is our interactive floor. And everybody then meets the brand and tries the brand during their tour of Showfields and their sales doubled. People just needed to try it. And then once they did, they loved it. And so I think we're gaining 
some confidence as a team that we'll be able to figure it out for the majority of brands and 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 find success for them. Uh, but I think that that's that six week pain point uh, that we have to always prepare for on both right. sides. Uh, yeah, and it's it's funny you said if once you can get comfortable with it, it's probably the most uncomfortable you're going to be. Exactly. Well, and we've talked a lot about pain points on a, a really positive side, and I think we've all contest or uh, confessed we're retail nerds. I'm also you know a real estate nerd, I guess too. So the piece of property that Showfields is in is. Uh, dazzling in many ways. It's kind of main and main as well. You've already mentioned some of the co-tenants that you have around you. Um, talk to us a little bit, if you can, about why that location? Why now? And if you can, what's coming up for <laughs> Showfields? So I can't name the cities that we're going to next year, but it is cities plural. And for us, it's the same equation that we've managed to have for 11 Bond Street, which is we're not quite a destination yet, but if we open in a location where there's the intersection of coolness and foot traffic, which is actually really hard to find. Like if you go to certain streets in LA, you have cool, but you have zero foot traffic. And so we're not ready for that yet. Uh, we still need the organic traffic that's walking by that we currently have at 11 Bond Street. Uh, so for us, we actually mapped out every major city that we wanted to go to uh, against this equation that we had made where we were ranking different things. And for us, foot traffic uh, is the most important as we're growing uh, as a business. In our next location, there are a million people a month that walk by the location that we are opening. And so as a marketer, <laughs> that is a <laughs> that's a relief. I feel really good about that. Uh, and I feel the same way about 11 Bond Street. I mean, I sit outside and I probably shouldn't reveal this because now I feel like my spot's going to be blown up. But I sit outside <laughs> on the bench outside of show fields on weekends and I just watch the traffic and I hear what they're saying about us. And then we go back and we reinvent the front of the store all the time, sort of based on how people are responding if they're walking in. But there are people there, which is half of the battle, right? It's now just about converting them into the store. It's not about getting them out of home. I think as previously a digital marketer and, and in marketing for my most of my career, as we look at other locations, it's flagship locations. It's, it's places where there are people already. Right. We should have a quiz. People should guess what the next location is. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. We should have an award for it. I think it's Cleveland. Oh, it's totally Cleveland. It's Cleveland. Customer co-creation is such a massive trend right now. We should just put it out there as a poll. Absolutely. By the way, if, if it was a different city, I'd probably open there, you know? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, I, so I'll, I'll do a pitch for Australia after the show. <laughs> no, but I love what you're saying about it because I think sometimes the traffic piece gets lost and you might say, well, this is Maine and Maine, but then, you know, they're not people walking by. And then how do you get them into the store? And I think it goes to another point that we talked about, which is you don't you don't want to think about all of this the first time you go into retail, most likely. Yeah. Uh, and certainly you might think about, okay, this is a great spot. We know where the retail is, but then you've got to think about how to get them into the stores. Uh, we're going to get to know Katie and Andrew on a personal level next. Entreprenista. 
a woman who organizes and operates a business taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstopodcast.com. Katie, you talked a lot about being at your desk at all hours and not doing a lot of walking. And this question has come up for me, and I feel very similar. I don't know if we're having like a spirit animal <laughs> mind meld here, but what else do you do outside of work, like a hobby? And I, by the way, I'm hard pressed to answer this sometimes. So I'm sorry I'm passing the ball to you, but I, I like it's going to be music to my ears. Lay it on us. No, I mean, <laughs> uh, clearly I'm a slightly competitive human. Uh, so no. I like I like to do things that I can track and have data associated with them. But are still you have a Peloton, don't you? I'm handing over the title as the nerd on the podcast right now. This is way worse. I have an app called Zombies Run, where you're part of an interactive novel that is taking place in the future in which zombies chase you uh, throughout the streets. So you... This is a thing. This is a thing. You put in how long you're going to run for, and you can run in whatever direction you want. It doesn't matter. But there are different chapters to the story. And as you're running, zombies attack you. Different things happen. But you're part of this book. So you have to run. You have to run. And if you don't run <laughs> the fast zombies enough, catch you? the zombies catch you. And it's awful. And they like you can hear them behind you. It's horrifying. Do you do this on the treadmill? I do this out in the streets of Manhattan. Um, so if you ever see me running as fast as possible and looking behind me, there are imaginary zombies chasing me. Uh, no, but I love it. I, I love remember it this once. So I just much. figured you were running away from hard questions from Ex me. Uh, <laughs> makes sense. You there know? has to be a Showfield zombie run mashup. That you yeah, really Nothing does. would make me happier. By the way, they've started releasing merch because it's become this like weird Is this an augmented fact. reality thing or is it just some... Hey, wait, that. do you put in your earphones? You put your headphones you've got in your phone. and you start the run and they have a countdown. It's like dink, dink, dink. And then you hear a gate open because you're in the enclosure that is the village you now live in. And you have a mission that you have to complete. There's someone you have to save or you have to like go get a resource. I am equal parts village. intrigued and horrified. This is like, I, I'm downloading like, this thing. Is this thing is on Earth or like, is this is, what I should be doing This is my this new segment. life. This, this, all might, over this, this might make me enjoy running a little bit more. <laughs> I used to hate I, I don't know running. whether enjoy is the right word enjoy, by the sounds yeah. of it. But I'm, I used to hate I'm running. I love it now. And I just, I get up in the morning wanting to hear the next chapter, guys. Like I'm like, what's going to happen today? 
say. But my friends, you know, they give me a really hard time about this because I come back really pumped up and I'm like, guys, see the whole village. Like I, I ran like 10 miles and brought back all these resources. And they're like, you are aware that you're just running by yourself with headphones <laughs> in. If your fund has so, not invested in Zombie Run, I think you I think, need to. I yeah, mean, if they sure. were New York based, it would have happened. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. I, I must admit, my the, the Australian in me would probably just do the Shaun of the Dead thing and just run for the pub. Yeah. <laughs> Straight to the pub, pour a cold beer, lock the door, and I'm done. That should be part of the app, yeah. at least I mean, once. Yeah, yeah. Come on. But you can have that idea for free. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. I like it. Guys at Zombie Run. So you mentioned your mall experiences when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Favorite mall store. When you were a kid, not now. It doesn't matter I now. I used to love Bloomingdale's with my mom. Because the they mail. had such great sales. And so my mom is a bargain hunter extraordinaire. She's amazing. She has fabulous taste, but she's one of those people that can walk into a Marshall's and walk out with the most fabulous thing you've ever seen. Um, and so for me, when I was young... Bloomingdale's, there was all the brands in there, and they had the whole jeans section. And I was hoping for Orange Julius or something. Oh like my that. goodness! Like, I don't know. Some, I don't, some I guilty mean, pleasure. Uh, oh, I wish. I, I, Bloomingdale's I should get props. I have a, a friend who's I've known her over half my life, and her mother would take a taxi from Riverdale to Bloomingdale's for the sale. And she was like, doesn't this seem like wrong? But, you know, again, they have some, she probably still has clothing from some of those shopping trips. So, I mean, most of the time still, and I'm, I am in my, I'm 30 something. Um, But uh, most of the time, most things I'm wearing, my mom has sent to me that she has bought on sale. That's amazing. She's an incredible shopper. (laughs) Really impressive. Is she in the gold medalist club? Oh, a thousand percent. But she likes. You're like she's the head of it. She's the president. Um, (laughs) You don't know her, (laughs) but she's that person that you see in like the gorgeous dress, and you're like, oh my god, that's stunning. Where'd you get it? And she's like, thirty nine dollars at Marshalls. She'll like she'll quote the price, which I love about her. Andrew, same question for you, although we might not recognize the stores <laughs> no. in the um, malls. The in Tim Melbourne. Tam shop? Uh, uh, the, Tim Ta- the Tim Tam <laughs> shop doesn't exist. The Daryl Lee store could be one, which makes amazing licorice, which you can buy here in the U.S. Um, no, I grew up in a small town called Torquay, right down the bottom. It's a surfing town. It was you know, When I was growing up there, it was a couple of thousand people. It's now a whole bunch of people realize it's a great place to retire, so it's monstrously busy. But um, it... So I used to adore the trips to the shopping mall. We would have a mall. It was called Market Square and Bay City Plaza. They were directly opposite. They're, I think they're both Westfield now, or at least one of them just certainly is. <laughs> but um, it was just, you know, it was an outing. It was a thing you do with your family on the weekends. You'd go there. You'd go to a movie. Uh, not with Daddy Hates Movies, but, you know, we would go to movies. We would, you know, have this kind of family experience there, which I think was, you know, like I mentioned before in the podcast, it's, this idea of retail as a campfire used to exist really strongly, and that's what you know the mall model was built around. We kind of lost track of it. The internet kind of happened, and then everyone's shopping behaviors changed. We've now got to come up with new ways to reinvent what that is. So yeah, for me as a kid, it was always just heading in, into the the mall and getting my Wendy's is a, an ice cream chain in Australia, not a, a fast food chain like it is here. So I used to go get my soft serve cone at Wendy's and go see a movie and buy CDs and DVDs at. I, uh, um, what was it called? Strand or something like that. Sam Goody? Remember. Did you ever Sam, Sam Goody? No, I don't even know. Tower yeah. Records? No. Sorry. <laughs> like, I think when I was a kid, like it was, just, there was a whole bunch of Australian brands. You guys would walk into a Westfield now and go, "I know all of these." Yeah, that's ah. fine. 
So yeah, mind you, in saying that, I one a great experience that I had was watching the latest Stranger Things with an American because they were like, "Oh, that brand! Oh, that brand!" I'm like, "I don't know any of them, <laughs> not a single one of them." They're all back, apparently. All, my yeah. my daughter wears all of them, all the brands hmm. that I used to wear as a kid, which is kind of amazing. I mean, if you think about it, bands, it champion sweatshirts, uh, they're they're all back. It's it's pretty nuts. Ron John Surf Shop. I mean, yeah. it's like, who knew that that would be. We return to uh, to surfing <laughs> wow. as a uh, as yeah, well, a cultural phenomenon in the U.S. There, there you go. If you don't know where Torquay is, it's the home of Ripco. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, Ripco, there you so. go. Now I know what it is. Oh, you put it, it on the map. <laughs> there you go. Katie, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. We covered a lot today. Would love to get uh, final thoughts from each of you. Sure. Well, A, thank you very much for having us today. This was fabulous. Guys, this is my first podcast. Nice. So I feel feel like this is a super exciting day. Uh, Being that, you know, why not? I'm a young company. I'm going to do a shameless plug. So I'm always looking for brands. Clearly, we're opening a few more locations. And so the thing that I'm sort of thinking through today is, I wonder who's on the other side of this who I'm going to get the privilege of working with, which is super exciting. It's this audience that I haven't maybe met yet. So I would say if retail as a service and me doing all the heavy lifting for you and your brand seems interesting, <laughs> please contact me uh, at katie at showfields.com and we can chat about showing you off at Showfields. But in all reality, I just, this is what a great way to start the day. Thank you guys. There's a brand in Cleveland right now getting very excited. Oh, God. I love it. I'm going to get yeah. so many emails. Totally. Are you in the Cleveland commerce? Yeah, totally. Yeah, That's absolutely. I'm awesome. not in Cleveland. Yeah, this is weird. <laughs> I'll start mine with a question to you, actually. How's your chief bark officer going? Oh, I have a rescue dog named Rome, and he is a six-year-old chihuahua who I rescued six months ago. Who is he's adorable. Our, he's our chief bark officer. Um, he's great. He really hates the slide at Showfields, and so <laughs> and so he's he's a the size of like out. my fist going yeah, down. Yeah, he two he story. is a five pound dog. Yeah, so good. I get it. Or bring your dog to work day, I, not his highlight. Yeah, yeah, he he maybe doesn't love bring your dog to work every day day. <laughs> so we've been we've given giving him some breaks from the store, but uh, in general, he's mostly with me, which is great. Excellent. He is adorable. I had the privilege of spending a whole bunch of time with Showfields, as I mentioned earlier, doing a video series, which I do suggest people go have a look at because I know not everyone listening is in New York and just can pop around to Bond Street. So mm-hmm. off the shelf.onedoor.com and you can see the videos there. Please feel free. I, I was trying to channel my best Kevin McLeod from Grand mm-hmm. Designs. So if anyone wants to uh, critique the style, please feel free. But more <laughs> importantly, awesome advice and insights from uh, a whole bunch of the team at Showfields and the brands there, which I think is incredible. I think retail is just this incredible family, like this collegial group of people that want to help each other. And being an Australian retailer that's now over here in the US, like being welcomed with open arms, bringing insights from Australia, bringing insights from the US back to Australia. It's this incredible privilege to be part of it. And, you know, conversations like this and what you guys do here uh, by sharing insights with fabulously talented people like Katie, uh, I think is incredible. And that's the reason we love this industry. We do live and die by cash in the till still as an industry. And that can sometimes be a little challenging when it comes to thinking differently about how we can reframe retail for us and match those you know, rapidly changing consumer trends. And you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to think differently and do come up with what their reframe is 
I love and adore having conversations with those people because that makes me a better human and hopefully we can help out too. So always feel free to reach out and say g'day, andrew at thinkuncommon.com. Uh, I'd love to hear all of you try and say a g'day as we sign off. Uh, that's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> didn't think so. G'day. Didn't g'day. think so. Yeah, g'day. That, wasn't bad. G'day. that wasn't bad. Does it go uh, down or up? G'day? G'day. Down. G'day. Sure. Down. Yeah. G'day. It's not g'day. a question. Not oh, a question. You were good, see, Chris? No. That was good. You did. You nailed it. Well done. Once again, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Chris, as always. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank, thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. I'm Rebecca. Have a great day. This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.